Hi, I'm Kat. And I'm Emma. If you love the Dead Prank podcast, you can help support its future using the ACAST supporter feature. Now, it's up to you how much you give and there is no regular commitment. So if you can and you want to, please do hit the link in the show description to support now. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Listening to the Dead Parent Club podcast, a podcast designed to open up the conversation surrounding grief and to ensure young grievers feel less alone. I'm Catherine Hooker, and I speak with young adults from all over the world whose lives have been impacted from losing a parent at a young age. The good, the bad, and the banter. And I guess your whole world gets turned upside down from from the moment that you that you hear that news um, and everything stops and everything changes and you have to navigate a new normal um, and I say that not just post is passing but in the lead up too and there's no guidebook and there's no there's no book to tell you how to deal with it Hi everybody and welcome back to the Prank Club podcast. Before I begin, I mentioned in this episode that my brother's girlfriend was due to give birth like imminently. Um, I just wanted to update you guys that last Wednesday, my brother and his girlfriend welcomed their little baby boy Griffith into the world. I am a super proud auntie, he is beautiful. Um, but I just wanted to let you guys know because that was super exciting and it's been an amazing week. Also, if you regularly listen to the podcast and you love it or you find it useful, I would really, really appreciate it if you would consider leaving me a review. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can literally just like scroll down to the very bottom of the podcast page and you'll see like a review thing there. Or if you're not on Apple Podcasts, I'm going to leave a link in the show notes where you can do it. It'll take you to a landing page. If you've got the time, I would really appreciate it because it just helps me reach more people. So thank you so much in advance. On the DPC podcast this week is Lawrence. His dad passed away around three years ago and he contacted me because he wanted to come onto the podcast to share his experience and give more insight on what it's like being a male and losing a parent and kind of the stigma surrounding talking about it and how he and his four brothers all deal with death and their grief completely differently. Initially, he thought, you know, we'll all grieve the same. And obviously over time, he realized how everybody's grief is completely different. He also speaks a lot about finding his new normal and how important it is to realize that no matter how painful your grief is right now, it does ebb away a little bit as time goes on. 
and your grief just kind of changes shape. And he also talks about how he still has a relationship with his dad. And I absolutely love that bit of the podcast. So keep listening and let us know what you think. So first of all, Lawrence, I'd like to give you a huge thank you for coming on to the podcast and for approaching me to come on. Um, I obviously really appreciate it. And if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself to our listeners so that they know kind of who you are, where you're from, how old you are and stuff, just so that they can get to know you a little bit as well. Absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you for um, inviting me on. on it. It's really uh, an amazing podcast. So first of all, thank you for uh, <laughs> for, for allowing me to come on. Um, <laughs> so my name is Lawrence Field. I am 36 years old. I'm from North London. Um, and I lost my father three years ago um and I feel that you know three years following on from from his passing I'm I'm I guess I'm in a in a place where I feel I I could be a bit more reflective and in, in, in what my journey's been um and I guess when discovering upon your podcast a lot of it resonated with me from your previous guests I was doing a lot of nodding um, <laughs> that's always a good sign <laughs> yes I was like ah so it's not just me and ah okay <laughs> and it was it was it's it's such a great um it's such a great opportunity I guess for other people of the of the dead parents club even saying it out loud sounds a bit, a bit <laughs> um to sort of share share a space where um share a space where you can sort of resonate from other people's stories I guess so for me yeah. a lot of what your guests have been saying resonated with me and I felt maybe something I could contribute to your podcast yeah I mean that's brilliant thank you so much and as you know I'm super happy to have another guy on board given their kind of experiences of grief and um how you've kind of dealt with it in your own way and I'm looking forward to hearing about how you and your brothers have communicated about it as well obviously yes. being four guys all together yeah. um if you wouldn't mind then kind of diving into your story basically sure, you know sure from how, how your father passed away. sure so um my dad was um diagnosed with he had a melanoma um sort of skin cancer um and it was at that point when he was diagnosed with it it was sort of very contained and no one was overly worried about it it was something which was mm. his back and it just needed to be removed and that was going to be it, really, just a sort of the procedure, um, which which happened, um, which was straightforward, but it it sort of came back quite quickly, um, and there was a space of about oh I don't know th- three four five months of him having the melanoma removed and it coming back, and then him having removed and then coming back, and again we're, we were at a point where. No one was overly concerned about it because the consultant was like, well, well, it's very contained at the moment, but it is, we're a bit concerned that it's coming back, but we're not overly concerned about it, if that, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. And, and they sort of said at the time, it, it is quite aggressive, but again, because it's not going anywhere, we'll just, we'll just monitor it and see how it goes. And then 
it got to the point afterwards where they removed it and said, listen, this this thing is a, a bit more serious than we thought. And chances are it is it is going to eventually spread to another part of the body. We don't know when or where, but that's probably most likely that's going to happen, which was quite strange. But again, we sort of buried my head really under the sand to say, well, it's not happening and, you know, it may not happen. And if it does, then it still might be okay. Um, so it wasn't anything that anyone was particularly panicking about. Mm, um, yeah. And then sort of the inevitable happened really, where he was um, in a hospital for, um, he was having really bad stomach stomach pains, I think. Um, and a consultant came in and said, we've, you know, we've done a, a scan and we can see that the cancer has spread to your liver mm. um, and at that point was sort of panic stations but with cancer and I'm sure a lot of your listeners can can relate to this when you're going through that it's constantly a waiting game you're waiting for the yeah. results and, you, and, and, and and that's what that's how you're living at that point you're just yeah. on sort of li- living a bit in limbo in in, in the next set of results so we had sort of I think four or five days of waiting for the results of the severity of of you know of, of the cancer um and that's the point where we got told it was stage four um liver cancer um and oh. and basically at that time our sort of our whole world sort of came to a halt really and that was Sort of in July two thousand and sixteen, mm. June June July two thousand and sixteen, um, and at that point they said people who have stage four melanoma in the liver, liver cancer, um, there is some treatment, but the most anyone has lived with it is five years. So we can offer you some treatment, but the most anyone has lived is 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 five years so yeah you're just delaying the inevitable thing yeah um so you know it's all a bit of a blur really at that time but we um at that time he was he was you know the 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 effect that 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 it had on his liver meant he wasn't able to sort of um his mobility stopped and and he was sweating and and he wasn't really able to move a lot and, and he was in you know horrendous pain because a lot of it we thought we were hoping it was um something that um uh, pulled muscle or something because of because of his lack of mobility we mm. thought we'd hope this is before we got the diagnosis um in the lead up to it that we'd hoped he got um a slip disc we thought oh yeah that's what we were hoping for that it was Ooh, a disc. My, my boyfriend's had one of them and it was awful <laughs> and, and he even got a physio because the physio sort of said well you may have a slip discs because you're so immobile so we were just praying mm. that and then obviously um we got told it it wasn't it was it was yeah. it spread to the liver um he then went on some treatments um which which was really successful but at the same time the consultant said to us um yes it will it, it is working and, and it's reducing what we've got but the cancer will eventually work out how to dodge this treatment so mm. this isn't going to end well for the moment it, it, it is it is you know giving your dad a quality of life and it did and he you know he was able to sort of 
function again and he ended up going back into work and he started oh, wow. having a bit more normality the whole time having this stage four diagnosis you know over him but the treatment was um effective enough that he was able to sort of really function that you were yeah. is wrong um and that really works from i guess the the july august up until mid to end of november um and throughout that time he was having um he was having results so he was having scans and results and you could see it was working and but the consultant who they have to be realistic kept saying to us he's doing really well but and there was always the but and the but yeah. was this isn't going to be a long-term solution unfortunately the cancer will work out how to dodge this treatment so we were we were really like um happy that he was that the treatment was working to a degree but we sort of knew that um this wasn't gonna this wasn't going to end well and it got to the end of November and we could see him starting to regress and his mobility started to get worse. Um, when he first got diagnosed, he was at a point where actually it, we had to um, put in a stair lift in the house and he had to be in a wheelchair because of um, the reaction to, to the cancer. And we went from that to the treatment working where he then went from a wheelchair to going on a... Um, on a, on, a, on a crutch to a Zimmer frame to just one stick to him being able to walk to him wow. being able to drive to him being able to function and then we got to sort of the November and he went from walking to going onto a stick to going onto a Zimmer frame to being on a wheelchair to then being immobile so at that point we sort of knew what was happening um but we were sort of not none of us really acknowledged it none of us really said it out loud um, and then we went for the scan in the January. Um, it was the beginning of January. We all went away over Christmas. Um, and I suppose we all sort of knew that was going to be the last time we were going to be together. And yeah. it was the 7th or 8th of January that we went for the scan. And that's when the consultant told us that it had spread everywhere and it has gone to the brain and that's he's got only a few weeks to live and four days later he went in he had a stroke and went into a sort of a, a coma and yeah. used coma at home and he passed away two days after that deterioration so, is so quick yeah so the whole process really was from when when he got diagnosed from the stage four was sort of from the may june time and he passed away in the january um so it, it, it wasn't a you know a long huge sort of period from the stage four diagnosis to him passing um mm. so it was a it was a very intense time for all of us um and i guess your whole world gets turned upside down from from the moment that you that you hear that news um and everything stops and everything changes and you have to navigate a new normal yeah. um, and i say that not just post his passing but in the lead up too and there's no guidebook and there's no there's no book to tell you how to deal with it um 
I wish there was. <laughs> I, wish, I wish there was. I really wish there was because, um, and it, it's fascinating because, you know, that the whole argument, nature versus nurture, um, you know, as say, I, I'm one of four boys and I thought going into this that we would all react the same. We would all deal mm. with the same and we would all grieve the same. But in reality, that just didn't happen at all. Um, which for me came to was quite a big, quite a big shock. So has how has that been for you then? Like, have you have all four of you literally all grieved completely different, and are you all aware of that as well? Well, yeah. I mean, I th- yes, I think I think so. I think um, what became clear when the diagnosis happened is everybody has their sort of roles and their roles that they're comfortable in. So one one of my brothers is much more pragmatic and much more right. We need to we need to do this. We need to do this. And we need to do this. Another one is another one is um, you know not very comfortable talking about his emotions at all. So we'll cover it up with with jokes and banter, and that's how he deals with it. Um, and another brother's similar. He was living away actually in Amsterdam at the time. Um, so as an example, when you know when my dad was diagnosed, I wanted him to come straight over. And I, he, he did, but not like instantly. And I remember talking to him on the phone and I was like, well, you need to fly over like now. Like you need to book your flight now and come over. And he was like, well, let's take a breath. We don't, I don't need to come over this, this exact second. <laughs> and and, 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 and it, again, it's like, oh, okay. You are, you were obviously seeing this situation very differently to me. And at the time I was, you know, lots of resentment and anger about that and again it's um it's interesting how people deal with that and react to that and I I guess being one of four boys um who all have dealt with my dad's passing so differently I've gone I've learned a lot in the last three years and I think my instinct at the time was well, because you're not grieving like me, it, it means you just don't care or, you know, you're not as concerned as I am. Um, and in reality, of course, that's not true. Um, it, it just means that they manage their grief or they manage their anxieties around my dad when he was leading up to his death just very differently, um, which is really hard to navigate um, at the time because when you're in that moment, you want everybody to act like you are. You need everybody to respond in the emotional way that you're dealing with that situation. Um, and the way I dealt with it at the time was I need to be at the house the whole time at my parents' house. Um, during the time when my dad was, you know, really ill, my mum asked me to move back in. Um, I, I, I don't have kids or family, so I'm, I was able to do that. And because I was then living at home during that illness I was sort of there at the sort of the the darkest times really and I think I was much more sort of involved on that in on that level um rather than the the other times um so you kind of envy the people that aren't living it and just kind of get updates I mean I I did like with with my brothers I I envied them a bit um not kind of being at home throughout the whole entire process yeah I, I totally agree with that um I, I 
I, I, I wanted to be there, but I didn't. Yeah, of course. I, I, like, yeah. I, I remember, you know, I'll, I'll never forget, like I was um, talking to my, my sister-in-law and it was, you know, the, the height of, 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 you know, one of the worst times. And I remember saying to her, you know, with tears streaming down my face, I would say like, I don't want to go home. Mm. I don't want to go back to my flat because I don't, I can't be by myself, but I can't go to home because I know what's waiting for me. Yeah. And I would be, je- I would exactly that be jealous that my other siblings were able to go home at night to their families and be distracted and mm. to be able to look after the kids and to be able to deal with other stuff. And with me, I didn't have that. And, uh, you know, and it's those, those times where I guess, you know, you, you feel like you've got nowhere to turn really. And, and there was a, there was a point where, my dad was so immobile that the um, only way for him to sort of in the middle of the night, because um, at the time he, he needed to sleep in a separate bedroom. Yeah. Um, and because he couldn't get out of bed, um, we, he had a bell and he would ring the bell if in the middle of the night he needed something. Um, and I remember me and my mum would take it in terms, in, in, in terms of who would get the night's sleep. So yeah. she would have her door shut and my door would be open so I could hear and then vice versa. That must have been really hard for your dad as well, kind of having to accept help in the middle of the night yeah, and make his family it, up like that. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was, I, I can only imagine what it was like for him. Um, yeah. But it was, I made it really, uh, for me, it was really important that I didn't make it a dramatic um thing I just I, I tried to make light of it as much as I could yeah. um, and you know and and there would be times where I would um I would hallucinate hearing the bell at night so I would I remember it happened a number of times where I would jump out of bed and it'd be 3am run to his room and he'd be fast asleep oh. because I was so petrified of missing the bell that he might need something um and I think that has that was definitely now looking back was quite traumatic in regards of me having to do that and um obviously like that's something that I'm so glad I was able to do for him um but it was it was it was a very intense period um and then you know, then when later on in, this, in, in, in the stage of his illness, we got carers in, um, and he. There was a point where we, we where he was going to move into a hospice, but there wasn't room, so the decision was made that he was going to he was going to pass away at home. Yeah. Um, which actually, I think, was I'm really glad that happened. Yeah, the same happened to me with my mum, and I'm I'm really glad that happened as well. Yeah, there's there's people that say, oh, I, I I could I could never imagine that happening because then that room is always associated with them passing, and I was like, no, that it's so interesting the things that affect you and don't because for me it was you know for that week you know all my brothers moved in and we were all there the whole time yeah. and he was yeah. surrounded by us like constantly it wasn't we're going to leave for the day and oh we're going to miss anything and you know yeah you don't get that in a hospice you can't correct. have everybody there all yeah day. and it was this weird week of like his friends coming and, and saying goodbye to him and and you know 
and it was it was it was so bizarre and and I just remember getting really upset that there was people in the other room like having food and like having laughing and and, and not in a, they weren't doing it in a disrespectful way but I couldn't get my head around it I was like you know what the hell is this this isn't some sort of party you know and <laughs> but that's what happened when when he was here that my mum wanted his closest friends and family to come and, and be around um but it was you know you feel like you're having an outer body experience you know it was it was it, very strange but it's 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 one of the advantages of coming from a very close family is you know we've all got each other to support so yeah um that's <clears throat> i think that was one of the sort of good things about being part of a family a close family that it wasn't left to one person or one person you know there was the house was full um so yeah so he um he passed away on the 16th of January 2017 <clears throat> and I guess for me that's when sort of the the hard stuff started really um I think when he was alive and you know having his treatment and 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 unwell you could you could place yourself somewhere you could be that person to get his medication or you could be that person to make the phone calls or go and speak yeah. to family members or go to his office to clean the paper you could make yourself a bit you could help you could help yeah even though yeah. even though you're helpless because there's nothing you can do which is yeah. the worst thing um but you could make yourself useful in any way possible um and i think when he passed it was okay how, how am i going to navigate this now what 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 does this even look like and you know, I tell, I, 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 when I speak to people about this, you know, I, I you know, and, and I've got some friends who unfortunately have gone through the same as me. And when they've spoken to me about it, I, I sort of said, you know, there is no rule book. Everybody grieves differently. There's no right or wrong. Um, but one thing you've got to come to terms with is your new normal. Yeah and the shift I, I love that saying that's what I use it's because you know people when they have a when they lose someone they think nothing is you know everything's going to be awful for the rest of their lives and it's going to be a horrendous existence and what I say to them is it's not going to be a horrendous existence it's going to be a new normal it's going to be yeah. a shift in in your family dynamics it's going to be a shift in how you function as a family how you are um and it's just a new way of you existing as a family unit and everybody has a different way of navigating that sometimes for the worse for the better for differently but that's what you've got to sort of um navigate as a family because yeah humans are, re are, are much more resilient than they think the amount of people <laughs> and I, I don't know if you had this when, when you know when you lost your mom and said oh if that happened to me I, I just I know I wouldn't be able oh. and I'm like well I hate I hate that though because it makes it sound as if you didn't love your parent enough to be able to, to be coping with it do you know what I mean yeah. yes and I hate I hate that saying so much like yeah. I could never I could and, never and I to them, well you do because I do and people and do. What choice do you have? Every day. And you don't have a choice. What, what other choice do you have? 
You've, you've, yeah. you've got to, you know, it, it's so fascinating that the reactions, the people's reactions to, to it. And, you know, I had one person who came up to me and went, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry for your loss. It was, it, was, it, was, it was someone at work. I'm so sorry for your loss. I went, oh, thank you. And they went, you know, I lost my dog a few months ago and <laughs> I, I know what, like, horrendous it is. And, and, you, you, and you sort of, just, you stand there and you're just in shock that someone is, is comparing that like for like. Yeah. And they're, they're not going to be malicious. They're, they're just maybe not thinking about the reality of the situation. Um, and yeah. I find myself sort of justifying it and comforting them to a degree. And I'm like, what? <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's really hard. And, 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 and it's, it's fascinating because people come to you because they want to give you sympathy. But in reality, they also want to compare themselves to you or yeah. and saying, you know, I, I, I know it, I know it's tough. You know, I, I lost my, my 95 year old grandpa last year. That's really sad for you, but there is a big difference between losing a grandparent at 95 and losing a, mm. losing a parent when they're in their, their sixties. Um, yeah. And I think, that's the whole thing about people not really knowing how to be sort of saying things maybe without thinking, um, but they all have good intentions, which is always. Yeah. Um, and it, and it, and it's, it's difficult to sort of um, engage with that because you want to try, you don't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable at the same time they have no idea the level of grief you have gone through or going through yeah, um, and the pain Con- that you're constantly in. I think one of the biggest things I feel is that people don't realise the longevity of grief and the fact that it's not just a few months or a few years, but yeah, it's, it's I mean, forever. Like it, it really is forever. I mean, you know, and I'm sure it's the same with you. You know, it's been three years now and I've got very few friends who will come to me and say you know how are you doing how is everything you know on my dad's birthday they might say a message or on the anniversary but yeah. that's it because in their world well he's passed away you've had the year and now you need to sort of move on you're over that now and yeah. the reality is is that grieving is is, is so hard and it goes in so deep and it is, it, it, and it, and it, you, and it carries with you every single day, and you know that they, if you haven't gone through it, you 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 can't really express to someone what you're sort of carrying with you the whole time. I don't, and, and I don't want to persuade people. I don't want to be telling everybody the shit I'm 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 carrying on a daily basis, because you don't want to be defined as the person who's lost his dad. No, exactly. Um, you don't want to be defined as that person, but then on the other hand, they don't quite get what you what you are carrying constantly. Um, and I think that when when I've spoken to to friends who have who have lost parents, you know, and and, and they speak to me, and it's so interesting because one of the things they want to know is, so tell me when it gets better. <laughs> tell me when it stops. And you know, what they want is they want a, a timeline. They want to be really clear. So for this year, I'm going to be feeling this, this, and this, and then at this time, yeah. we'll get, and 
that's not the way grief works. No, it's like a not it's like a knotty bit of cotton wool that just always unravels in between each other. It's exactly it. And the only thing I sort of say to people when they sort of say to me, you know, please tell me this isn't going to be like this forever. I say the only thing I can tell you from my experience is you will always have that pain and carry that grief, but it will just be less raw. Mm. You know, and I only talk from my experience that it it is not as, you know, my grief is not as raw as the day after he my dad died. Um but I still grieve and I and I and I still struggle. But yeah. it it it's not as raw as it was. And that's the only bit of I guess when I'm talking to anyone about it from my perspective that I can say that that bit of the, the that rawness um gets slightly lighter o- over time, but it, it carries with you, you know. Mm. Um and I think that everybody manages it and deals with it so differently. Um, I'm someone who likes to talk about, um, to, to only specifically to family. Yeah. Because I only tend to talk about my dad face to face with people who like knew him and, and, and know the family. Um, yeah, I understand that. And because, because you know, because they can relate to sort of the person who I'm grieving. Yeah. But you know. I've got, you know, my siblings don't tend to um, talk about that they're really struggling with their grief. They'll they'll maybe talk about stories about my dad, or they might speak about, you know, memories that they've had or jokes that he might have said. But they would never they would never say, do you know what I'm 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 really struggling at the moment or. Do you know what? Mm. It's his birthday coming up, and and and, and I, I can't believe it's been three years, and I and, and and I feel really, I feel really sad. You know, we don't ever have those sorts of conversations. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Um, but keeping his I guess for them it's more important the way they deal with it to talk about him rather than maybe their own feelings about their grief yeah Yeah. well have you found obviously being a guy and you know there's all those kind of stigma attached to guys don't talk about their feelings and blah 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 like from your point of view do you think that's true yeah, hundred percent. I'm very open about it. I'm very open about when I when I when I talk about it. I'm very open that I had um, bereavement counselling. That I think 
is so important and and mm. I actively say to people who are going through it you know you really should look into this it's not for everyone but it really helped me I think it's important to tell people that you really struggled and that you are struggling and that's okay because you know my my feeling on it is to say to people it's okay not to be okay yeah you know it's okay that I'm having a really tough week this week thinking about my dad um, because I'm able to talk about it and I'm able to process it and I'm able to sort of, you know, openly, you know, talk to someone about it or open, but it, it's, it's, I think I'm in the minority and I think a lot of people, a lot of males um, don't because they, they see it as a sign of weakness um and may deal with it privately but it's certainly a taboo um about you know certainly with grief that talking about a loss that you've had and how you're feeling about it and how you're coping with it and that it that it, it's okay that you're not coping but you know I, I i always think about um think about my brothers who you know two of them certainly I think struggle to talk about how they are feeling in, in relation to my, my dad's passing um I think about it like they've taken a breath in and they're holding it in yeah and all I want them to do is just breathe out yeah because I feel like it's it's just it's being held and it's being held and it's being held and it might come out in other, you know, it, it might manifest itself into other things. The depression, I, I, who knows? I don't know. I hope that's not the Yeah, yeah. But by getting it out and talking about it, I feel that's like, that's so helpful. And if it's talking about it to a family member, a friend, a counsellor, a therapist, but just getting it out there, I know I found so important for me, in, in, in for me to sort of, I guess, um, work with my grief. And I know when I went to a, um, when I went to a bereavement counselor, um, in the, actually I I started having counseling in the week or so in the lead up to his passing. And I remember very organized, very organized. Yeah. Well, I needed needed it. Believe you me, I needed it. Mm. I remember walking in and I just burst out crying but I felt so much lighter coming out of that session. I can't even tell you because I didn't want to um, cry or get emotional in front of my parents um, because I didn't want to put any of my stuff onto them. Yeah. So I removed myself from the situation, but found a space where I could do it. And it, and it was so, it was invaluable to me that I was able to sort of, cry or just talk about what I was going through and every day was a was a different struggle um and as you said like it for me it's not the big things that I struggle with it's the small things it's the you know the other week I was having my hair cut and I was having my beard trimmed and the barber said to me oh you you're I can see you've got some um you've got some ginger coming out my dad was ginger 
Oh, and it was about, yeah. and it was, it was about, it, and, and the first time that happened, it was about two weeks after he passed away. And I said, yeah, well, my dad is, and I went from is to was. Mm. And it was that small nothingness that got me. Oh, so painful. And it was changing the tense. Yeah. Um, and it was forgetting he's died for a second because I went to, you know, went to make a call to, to talk to him. And for that split second, just forgetting, for that tiny second. Mm. Or Father's Day and, and and seeing all your friends, you know, posting stuff about their dad. Oh, the worst. That, you know, um, it's things like that. And also with grief, what I find, and if you find this, that it will come from nowhere. I will be driving in my car and I will just, something will come into my mind about him and I'll find myself tears rolling down my face. Yeah. Because I've just, because out of absolutely nowhere, I've just thought about something to do with him. And I'm not in a state about it. I'm not, you know, needing counselling afterwards, but it sometimes just comes from absolutely nowhere. I don't know if you, I don't know if you find that. Yeah, oh God, a hundred percent. I like, like I said, just kind of before we started talking. Usually, I'm fine, but it's just little things, and I'll just feel the tears kind of well up in the corner of my eyes. And um, I've got some fam, like my cousins have recently had kids, and they're getting married. And my brother will be having his first kid with his girlfriend over the next few days at some point. She's due. Oh, very um, nice. And when people are talking about that around me, that hundred percent really brings it back for me because you know I'm thinking about things that she's missing and that really you know it's so sad it's not fair it isn't and it is that thing of it's not fair and um you know we've got I've got family wedding um this weekend and you know every time there's there's a, a celebration or there's a momentous occasion it's one more thing that your loved one isn't here for is missing yeah and you get to the yeah. point you'll be like if dad, if dad was here now and he came back, wow, how much has he missed in the last three yeah. years? And that's a big, and that's a big part of my sort of journey, I guess, is um, and something I've had to come to terms with that certainly in the first year or so, I didn't want anything to, to change because by me moving on or changing meant that I'm acknowledging he's not there and therefore yeah. I'm moving on to something that he's not a part of. Um. And feeling guilty about it, um, mm. which, which again, you 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 you've got to come to terms with, and it's and and again, it's about your it's about your new normal as as a, as a family, and actually knowing that he might be you know hopefully looking down, and you know I I I always my my thought is that it's so important to talk about that person because yeah. it's keeping them in the room, it's it's keeping yeah. them as part of the family. Um, oh, dad would have loved that. Oh, can, you know, oh, that's something dad would have said. Or, you know, and, and we do that as a family a lot, which is great because it, it keeps him, it keeps him alive in the room and it keeps him as part of the sort of the family unit. Um, and I guess it's about, it's a weird thing to say, but someone once says something to me and, and it sort of stuck and they said, um, you're, your dad might have passed away, but you still have a relationship with him. 
it's a different relationship to any of your other friends who have got fathers alive, but you have a relationship. It's just very different. Mm. And for me, that's stuck because I do have a relationship with my dad. I yeah. absolutely do. Um, I talk to him. I mean, I'll be in the car and I'll, and I'll, I'll talk about nonsense. Um, I'll, I'll think about him a lot. Um, if I go up to to his grave and and you know we'll give him the updates on the the Arsenal scores uh-huh. and, and you know and, and 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 that's my relationship with him now. Um, so for me that that that's that's really important because um, I feel that that's that's how I sort of can be connected to him, which I think's really important, and that's how I deal with it and. There are other people who who I know who deal with it by not talking about it at all, or pretending it didn't happen, um, or you know, sort of saying, "Right, well, that's happened. We need to move on now, and we've got to stop looking back." And I, I was, I was a point early on where I was very angry about how certain people would would be responding and and reacting in their grief, um, and it was affecting me massively. Um, I was, um, you know, I couldn't get my head around it. But over time, I've sort of learned that you can't get angry or cross by how other people grieve, because there isn't a right or wrong. It, 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 it we're all very different. It, it, we're all very different, and some people can't articulate how they're feeling, and some people do it by being much more bantery about it and joking. And some people don't talk about it at all. Some people can't talk about it. I had a friend who, um, who when my dad passed away, I, I really wanted to speak to someone who had gone through something similar. And, and, I, and I contacted a, a friend of mine and she very kindly said, yeah, of course. And she, she we, we, we chatted and she said, the biggest regret I had was not seeing a counsellor after yeah. Mum passed away. And she said, and because of that, 15 years later, she is unable to talk about her mum. Yeah. And as she was telling me that, she was in floods of tears. And she said to me, This is me 15 years on because I didn't manage my grief at the time. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And therefore, like, for me, that was a big wake up call. It was like, I need to get my shit together here because. I don't want to be that person 15 years down the line that hasn't dealt with their grief and now is in a situation that they they find it impossible to or it, yeah. it it's created this situation where they're you know um unable to manage or even speak about it um, yeah. and I speak to I tell my brothers all the time openly I said I really wish you would go and talk to someone about it and 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 you know, all I can do is sort of say, you know, that's what I think would be really helpful. And they have to do what they have to, that, that's their decision. And I've learned that, that I can't get, I can't, can't force them. <laughs> and I can't change their behavior of how they, yeah. Yeah, because that's what works for them. So I now can only focus on me and, you know, trying to carry through my grief as best I can. Yeah. Um, and, and trying for it to sort of, you know, it, it carries with me every day, but it, I've got to be in a point where I'm able to sort of carry on my life and thrive. And, you know, I can 
when my dad died, my biggest fear was I'm never going to be content. I'm never going to be content for the rest of my life. Whatever happens That's, in my oh life. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. You, you feel like you're, not, you're never going to be truly happy ever never again. Never going to be truly happy. And someone said to me, you can still be fully content in your life and miss your dad. Yeah. That's and so important. I guess that's really important because I think a lot of people who are going through grief be like, well, I'm never going to be truly happy. And I think you can be truly happy, but at the same time really miss your loved one. Yeah. Um, oh, that's so important. I really like that. Yeah. I think all these things that like, it's the, it's these pieces of like advice, which people sort of drop in to you throughout mm. your process and certainly with me and certain things really stick and it carries with you when you feel yeah. like you can't you know how are you ever going to carry on you think about well I do have a relationship with my dad it's just very different and I can be fully content but miss my dad and I have managed to navigate a new normal in my life yeah is it the nor- is it the life I thought I was going to lead no <laughs> is it very different yes but can I still be content and happy in that new normal yes yeah and I think that's what's that's what people have got to think about that when they think of like total despair and how am I going to exist without this person Mm. people are so resilient and it's about and and sometimes finding your new normal can take years but you will find it and 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 you know you will adapt and and I think that's really important that that people um can can sort of know that that is something that is possible and it and it isn't that all doom and gloom um i think that's the scariest thing when you're grieving is that sometimes when you're in the deepest darkest depths of grief you you literally don't see a way out like you cannot by any means picture a life where you will wake up and feel positive again and i think one of the most important things to reiterate is that you will like there will become a day where you will wake up and you won't wake up with your heart broken like it will be kind of putting itself back together again yeah I mean that's that's totally it you you at the time you think it's as you said quite rightly you you never think it's going to be possible you never think that's Mm going to be you but it will and it does and and I and I was that person for the first year that would be at the lowest point. And I remember having these, um, I was going through a period where I was having vivid dreams about my dad, that Mm. he was, that he, in these dreams, that he was, he came back and he was alive again. Wow. And it was so real to me. And I remember waking up and then realizing, oh, that was just a dream. And then going on my phone and seeing a video of him. And then that sort of spiraled into this sort of point of, I I can't, I can't manage this. I'm not, I'm not coping. Um, But over time and by sort of talking it out and talking it through and that rawness becoming less and less, um, you do get to a point where you, you, you can find that sort of, that light at the end of the tunnel. Now you're always going to have that there and that's always going to be a piece missing, but it's, it's, it's 
how you navigate that. And I think, you know, going back to the whole being a man thing, I think, you know, men have got to be prepared to like speak and find that person that they can speak to about how they're feeling, about how much of a crap day they've had. You know, it doesn't have to be a long, drawn out two hour chat. It can be calling that one person and saying, you know, I've had a really crap day today. You know, life is really crap. I can't can't believe he's dead. I've been thinking about him all day. I can't bear talking, seeing anybody. I'm jealous of everyone who's got a dad alive. Why me? Why me? Why me? And just by saying that out loud to someone, it, it, it means it's not it's not um, encompassing you. It's not taking over everything. It, it's by you saying it verbally, outwardly to someone, you would, you know, don't underestimate the power in that. And someone hearing you and say, not giving you the answers and not saying, I can tell you how to make this better, but just by someone else saying, I hear you. And it is really bad, but I, and I will yeah. be that person to listen. Hallelujah. <laughs> that's the thing. I think some people feel like, males especially, feel like talking about their feelings means they're going to be in a room with a stranger talking for hours about their emotions and stuff that they're uncomfortable with. And that's not always the case. It is sometimes calling up your best mate or your girlfriend or your boyfriend, whoever it is, and just saying about what a shit day they've had and how they're yeah. really missing their mum or dad. And that that's it. That's what it is. Yeah, massively. I am. Um, I had a conversation this morning with my boss, um, because well, he had some news from somebody that he knew that their parent had died or whatever, and he he admitted himself. He was like, "I find it hard to know what to say because all I want to do is put a plaster on it. I just want to make make it better." But yeah. the hard thing to deal with as somebody who's trying to support somebody that's grieving is that. There is no plaster you can put on it, no matter how hard you try. There's nothing, and so you kind of have to find a new way of offering support that doesn't actually fix anything. Because as humans, that's what we want to do. That's our instinct. Our instinct is to do better and to fix things. And I think what I would say to people, and what I do is, if 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 anyone talks to me about it, is I don't give answers. I don't tell them that everything's going to be okay. I just listen. And there's something about the power of just listening has such a huge impact. And I think that's what, you know, one needs to do when they're supporting someone who's going through that. Because yeah. even if it's lead up to someone or post or, you know, that, that, that grieving process, you know, just, I guess, being there to, to listen to that someone, you know, and just to be there for them. And being there for someone isn't always about giving them the answers. You know, it's taking them out for a drink. Yeah. Or, you know, just... Correct. Or just sending them a text. Yeah. It's it's the simple... I think people feel like when they're in that situation where they've got a friend who's going through something like grief, that they've got to do a big gesture or do a big thing. And it's not that at all. What we're looking for is for our friends and families, for for us to know that they're thinking about us and that they haven't forgotten that we're going through something really bad and really horrible. And it's Mm -hmm. a text to say, thinking of you, or, you know, I know it's been a a rough few days or whatever it is, or, you know, 
I'm around if I, I'm always around if you if you want to chat or as you said let me make you dinner one night yeah it, 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 I don't know if you find that but it, it is those little things I'm not looking for big gestures but sometimes just getting that text from someone saying I you know I, I know it's been a bit of a, a crap time for you and just to know that I'm here yeah you're in the thoughts yeah 100% if it's okay with you I'd like to kind of round this up on on our hero question if that's all right um which is asking you what you would say to other people that have experienced something similar to you i would oh it's a it's <laughs> a big question it uh, is <laughs> yeah i think what i would say is it's really important to talk um to not not hold it in to find that person who you feel comfortable with, whether or not it's a, it's a loved one or a, a counsellor or a therapist, and, and, and talk through sort of what you're feeling. Um, and that there, there, there is, you know, you will find light at the end of the tunnel. And it may take longer than, than others, but you will find that time where you're, you're not in that deep, dark despair. Um, and that you are able to function and thrive and you will be able to laugh and you will be able to enjoy yourself and you will be able to make new memories and that it's okay to do that. Um, and as much as you can, I guess, just as much as you can, try and surround yourself with friends and family and be able to talk it through to to whoever whoever you feel you can because that I think is really important because without that you don't want to be that person who's holding in all your grief um, 15 years later <laughs> absolutely you don't want to be that person that 15 years later is crying just from the just by talking about that person mm. you want to be able to be a point 15 years later where you are able to you know, reminisce and talk and laugh and joke and and you will be able to joke and you will be able to laugh and you will be able to have good times. Um and and I think that's that's really important. Um yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And I think, you know, pe people some people hate the saying, you know, oh you're so strong, but um not strong for hiding your emotions when you're grieving but strong for living your life with grief. I think that's what the difference is when you're telling people that they're strong is, you know, it's definitely not a weakness. It's amazing. The, the fact that you can pick yourself up and do amazing things with your life is incredible. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, yeah. I don't think anyone should underestimate, you know, how hard that is sometimes to, to carry with you. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, thank you so much, Lawrence. This has been absolutely delightful my pleasure thank you so much yeah i've, I've really enjoyed um, listen, listening to your story and like i think i can't believe it's only been three three years since your dad died yeah, um yeah it's it's amazing that you've managed to kind of talk through it so much and you've got so much positivity as well which is amazing so i can see why you've become the kind of person then that you know you can help other people which is obviously the most amazing thing to be able to do well, thank you. And, and as I said to you at the beginning, this, this podcast that you've created is is, is fantastic. And, it, and I think it it helps a lot of people. And, it, and it's good for, for people to know that they're not 
alone and that mm. what they're going through there are millions of people who are going through exactly the same and you're not yeah. you're not grieving in isolation and what you think is really you know weird or horrible or strange every, so many people are going through exactly the same thing and mm. I think normalizing that is so important um, yeah. so I hope anything that I've said today can resonate with at least one person then I think done our job oh 100% definitely definitely will I'm sure thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Dead Prank Club podcast I so hope that you've enjoyed it and you found some comfort in the stories that you've heard here today as always I would just like to remind you that neither myself nor any of the guests that come onto the show are healthcare professionals therefore if you do find yourself struggling with your grief I highly recommend that you seek out professional help whether that be from your GP or from the numerous charities out there that are available to you. Please also remember that you can reach out to us at any time on Instagram at DPC Podcast, on Facebook at The Dead Parent Club, and you can email us at dpcpodcast at hotmail.com. Alternatively, you can check out our website where a resources page is also available at www.dpcpodcast.co.uk. Also, please don't hesitate to contact me if you want to get involved in the podcast in any way, whether that be coming onto the show or to write a blog for us as well if coming onto a podcast isn't your thing. Thank you so much once again for listening and we'll see you next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.